Good morning and welcome to Pride Sunday at the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We're very glad that you all are here. We come from a heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And one of the ways we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by turning to the people around us and welcoming them here. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. We illuminate the chalice as a symbol of the flicker and flame within each of us. Let us take this bright promise into the world and set the lanterns of humanity alight. Good morning. Our call to worship, which is in the back of your hymnal, though you don't need to use it right now, is the poem Love is Not Concerned by Alice Walker, an internationally celebrated African-American intellectual, writer, poet, and activist. Walker won the Pulitzer Prize in Fiction in 1983 for her novel The Color Purple. She introduced the concept of womanism to broaden the women's movement to include women of color. She once said, womanist is to feminist as purple is to lavender. <laughs> Walker is a staunch defender of the rights of all living beings. <clears throat> she continues to travel the world to literally stand on the side of the poor and the economically, spiritually, and politically oppressed. Love is not concerned. Love is not concerned with whom you pray or where you slept the night you ran away from home. Love is concerned that the beating of your heart should kill no one. So many decisions have to be made. So many things need to be talked about. So many people there are to care for and care about. In times like this, we need a guide on how to set our priorities, how to make our decisions. And for this congregation, our mission statement is such a guide. We say it together every Sunday, and one of these days it'll be written on the wall. <laughs> together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our meditation reading is the poem Pran, or The Stream of Life, by Rabindranath Tagore. This poem is from the collection Gitanjali, for which Tagore received the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1913. Bengali author, poet, essayist, writer, musician, and artist, Rabindranath Tagore was a close friend of Mahatma Gandhi and composed the Indian National Anthem. The Stream of Life. The same stream of life that runs through my veins night and day runs through the world and dances in rhythmic measures. It is the same life that shoots in joy through the dust of the earth in numberless blades of grass and breaks into tumultuous waves of leaves and flowers. It is the same life that is rocked in the ocean cradle of birth and of death, in ebb and in flow. I feel my limbs are made glorious by the touch of this world of life, and my pride is from the life throb of ages 
dancing in my blood this moment. Uh, let us enter together into an attitude of meditation and prayer. Divine One, Spirit of Love and Truth, you of many names. We come this morning with hearts in tatters, grieving, angry, confused, determined. Once again, racism has caused death and destruction. Once again, a white man with a gun has gone into places, El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio, and killed and injured people because of a white nationalist agenda. White nationalism. Is the greatest terrorist threat to our country, according to the FBI. We don't know what to do. We work against racism. We work for sensible gun legislation. We try to push May we have the strength and the determination to keep pushing. May we be the few people who gather the many. May we be gathered by the people who are already doing this work, and may we push together until the tipping point is reached and the change happens. Please. Keep us from surrendering to despair. Please give us clarity and may we also be able to feel joy in the struggle, even at the same time that we are grieving. May it be so. A lot of times, pride is um, expressed through parties. And I want to talk this morning about a quieter kind of pride. I, um, I urge you to uh, watch a comedian named Hannah Gadsby. She has a piece, a show called Nanette. And in it, she's from Tasmania, which is on the, you know, under the tail of Australia. And she is, talks about how she was watching the Pride Parade as she was coming out um, in her own consciousness. Um, she said, there, she says, there's a lot of pressure on my people to express pride through parties. And I was watching the Pride Parade in Sydney, she said, and, and I was agog at the things I saw. And I just thought to myself, where are my quiet gays? 
My favorite sound, she said, is the sound of a teacup being returned to its saucer. (laughs) I'm going to talk about a quiet kind of pride today, the pride of having overcome the obstacles that come along when you are gay. And um, I can only speak to my experience because I'm a white woman of a certain age and I came out at a certain time. Actually, I didn't really come out. I was outed. Uh, I was at, a, at school, high school, um, ninth grade. And I had a girlfriend. I didn't really think of her as a girlfriend. I just thought of her as this girl who was in love with me and and it was fun. She was like very dramatically in love. And um and I, I she was fine. I liked her. And um anyway, she would write me these letters, very florid letters. Um and my best friend found one of them. And instead of showing it to me and asking me about it, she showed it to her mom. And her mom said, the parents in this class need to know that this is going on. And so they made Xerox copies of the letter and and mailed it to all the parents. I don't know if my parents ever got one. They never mentioned it to me because that is the way of my people. I know my mother put it on her prayer list if she got one, (laughs) which I appreciate. This was in the late 60s, as I say, when um, being gay was still considered a mental illness. And if you were a minor, your parents could put you in a mental hospital if they wanted to. The girl who wrote me the letter was withdrawn from school and sent to a psychiatric treatment. I just made it like it was all her, not me. Even when she returned to school, I ignored her. And I've been ashamed about that. About 20 years later, she called me, and we had a good conversation, and I asked for her forgiveness, and she gave it. I dated boys and then men and then married one. And when he asked me to marry him in seminary, I said, you know, I need to tell you that I'm kind of a lesbian. <laughs> and I mean, I like men. I like you. I love you. And, uh, and but I'm, you know, I, I I'm think I would rather just like wake up with a woman and live with a woman, have a household with a woman. Uh, hop around the house <laughs> with a woman. And he said, that's okay. I will be a lesbian too. And um, we'll live together as two women would live. And I know he really meant that. I know he really tried. Um, It lasted about six months, I guess. Um, uh, But the marriage lasted 17 years, and it was good. And we had two wonderful sons for whom I am extraordinarily grateful. I'm proud of having made a big change in my life in a small southern town where I was the one of the preeminent couples counselors in that town. 
I was like the unofficial chaplain of the junior league. And um, when I was in the middle of the divorce, I just lost all my couples counseling energy and stopped really doing couples counseling because I just wanted to go, oh, give up. It's too hard. So after that, uh, I never said that to anybody, but after I got a divorce, only the people who wanted to get a divorce would come to me for marriage counseling. (laughs) They'd be like, divorcing is okay, right? And I was like, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. At at the same time, the Unitarian Universalist congregation um, had lost its minister, and they approached me about being their interim And I told them yes, but that I was getting a divorce. They needed to know that. And um, so it went around town that I was a Unitarian now instead of Presbyterian. Uh, And I'm not sure which was worse in the eyes of the townspeople in that small conservative textile mill town, that I was a lesbian or that I didn't claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior anymore, because the only alternative to that is that you're a Satan worshiper. Um, The the paradigm is pretty simple, at least it was in those days. And so people would turn their backs on me in the grocery store, and they didn't actually spray Lysol on me, though, because one one woman in my congregation that I served was was an attorney, and whenever she would go to another attorney's office, this one particular one, for a meeting or whatever, that attorney's wife would come into the meeting room and spray it down with Lysol, which made sense to her. Anyway, as I was working at the church for about four months, I realized I needed to come out to them. And so during a board meeting, I said, I need us to go into executive session, some sensitive matters to discuss. And so they, the secretary put down his pen and... Um, I said I need to live authentically, and I need to let you know that I am going to be living as a lesbian. And um, one of the gay members of the board said, Meg, this is not going to be good news to as many people as you think it's going to be. I knew that. (laughs) And so after we finished our discussion, which was supportive, um, the secretary said, so what what shall I write in the minutes? And um, this man who was on the UUA board at the time, that's the board of our whole denomination, he said, write, he always did this with his hands, write that we went into executive session and then we came out. That church um, grew and grew, and they were pretty happy. There were some concerns. Uh, We don't want to be known as the gay church. Do you think we're going to be known as the gay church? And some people in the church were like, yeah, let's be the gay. These were the straight people. Let's be the gay church. I don't care. And all the gay people were like, I I don't don't know. (laughs) 
They were supportive to me when my husband and his new wife tried to take away my children. Um, That was awful. But I think they must have really annoyed their lawyer because he chose the most liberal guardian ad litem in the whole county to come do the home visit at our house to decide whether it was a fit environment for young boys. And um, in his report, he said everything was fine. It was a fit environment. They shouldn't take away the children. So I was glad about that, but it was nerve-wracking and expensive and unnecessary. I mean, ugh. Why? Anyway, still have feelings about it, but I'm proud of having uh, endured and prevailed. We started. Oh, I'm nervous because I'm telling you all. I'm. This is the beginning of my ninth year here as your minister, and so I feel like you know there are some things I should tell you about. Um, <laughs> Uh, that church started having coming out weekend events. Coming out weekend is in October, and they would plan a big coming out coffee house. By they, I mean the fellowship committee. And um, this couple, who seemed like an older couple at the time, but they were just like in their late 40s. Um, <laughs> they loved ballroom dancing, and there's a state dance in South Carolina called the Shag. It's like swing dancing, only just kind of slower, and you hardly ever pick up your feet because heat and humidity. And um, so they they gave shag lessons at the coming out coffee house. So we all shagged and had a good time. And um, one of the members of the fellowship team, um, he he was fabulous, and he could decorate. You should have seen the church when he decorated for Thanksgiving. He decorated department store windows for a living. And I would say, Roy, you're just amazing. He was like, oh, I just fling this here and fling that there. It's all right. But he did a little dance. Everybody stuffed dollars into his belt. (laughs) I had never been at a party where they did that before. (laughs) And then we had a panel for Sunday morning of gay members who would answer questions that the people wrote down. And the people, you know, this was not 2019. This was many years ago. And the people were not uh, really well-versed in how to be allies yet and still had some questions that were (sighs) difficult and awkward. And um, I don't remember most of them, but I do remember this one. How do you tell in your relationship who's going to be the man and who's going to be the woman? just looked at each other like, what does that even mean? What does the man do? What does the woman do? What, is it like who kills the bugs? Is that? You hear a noise in the night who goes out with the flashlight? I don't know. Two straight women in that church decided they were going to have a pride parade in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And so they went to the mayor and they said, Bill, we're going to have a pride parade. And Bill said, 
I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> and they said, well, we're going to. So give us a permit. And he was like, oh, okay. So 500 people came to that pride parade. The police were worried about violence uh, toward the gay people, not from the gay people. And so they had people uh, on the rooftops of the buildings and... Uh, one gay police officer who was a member of the church was sitting there, you know, like <laughs> looking at everybody. And um, she was as big as a minute, so it was kind of funny with her big gun belt. <laughs> I felt safe. I felt safe. And there were protesters. There were. Uh, there was a weird church where everybody was dressed all in white, and they had signs. Um, and so, but we had parade guardians with big open rainbow umbrellas who would shield the parade people from the protesters. And so whenever the protesters would start screaming, we had been trained, don't engage. And so we would just sing louder. That's how you do it. So we sang and marched and it was lovely, but except it was South Carolina in June. And so the heat was like 90 degrees with 90% humidity. And all the drag queens who were already doing the parade in high heels their makeup melted, um, but they are tough. So they were there till the end. A lot of church people went and brought their children. Second year, that's ally behavior. The second year, there were 1,500 people at the pride parade. I don't know how many there are by now. The pride that I feel is the pride of survival and endurance. And I know that many of you have that pride as well and have encountered obstacles. Many of you who, are, who identify as LGBTQ plus AIA, um, the alphabet soup group is what we call it here, um, have similar stories, and depending on your generation, um, I'm going to sing you a song that I wrote for that church that I served and its people. It's also for you. Um, I wrote it for the coming out weekend. It's called The Beauty in You. It, um, it talks kind of at the end about, it refers at the end about um, to a, a fake story. Unfortunately, it's fake. I wish it were true. About when the Nazis took over Denmark and the king of Denmark wore uh, a Star of David on his armband, and then everyone in Denmark wore a Star of David, so nobody could tell who was who. And so at the end, you'll be asked to stand up, and it's not just stand up if you're gay, but stand up if you're standing with the people who are, who are gay.
How much did it cost not to tell your mother? Cause you hated the thought of seeing her cry. You would rather say nothing than do her any harm. So you paid for her innocence with lie after lie. I sing to the beauty in you, to the light in your eyes, to the pain you disguise, your broken heart. I sing to the beauty in you, we will not lie anymore. Got your hand on the door, let's make a start. How long did you wait to tell your father how closely did you watch his face? Did he close it down? Did his eyes grow distant? Did he take it all on as, as his own disgrace? I seem to the beauty in you, to the light in your eyes, to the pain you disguise. I sing to the beauty in you, we will not lie anymore. Got your hand on the door, let's make a start. How many times will you have to tell it? How many friends just fade from sight while the preacher, he thunders about sin and damnation how many sad midnights did you fear he was right I sing to the beauty in you to the light in your eyes to the pain you disguise your broken heart I sing to the beauty in you we will not lie anymore you got your hand on the door let's make a start stand up are beautiful. Stand up. We will stand with you. Stand up. You are beautiful. Stand up. We will stand with you. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. Stand up. We're gonna stand with you. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. You are beautiful. A good way to stand as an ally is to understand the straight privileges like being able to show affection in public without worrying. Being able to inherit from your partner, being able to visit them in the hospital. These things are getting better. Even when I was in a hospital in South Carolina, nobody blinked when I said, this is my partner. She's going to sleep in the room with me. And they were all like, great. So I've had, I've had good experiences, but that's not everybody because I am also um, have the privilege of being white and a citizen and having enough money and having insurance and 
uh, being a preacher, which counts for a lot in a small southern town. And not having your children taken away because you're gay. That's another privilege. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These build in our hearts until we are together again. So this is a call and response song. And the first time through, we're singing it for ourselves. And then we'll sing it for someone we love. And then we'll sing it for someone about whom we are kind of neutral. And um, then we'll sing it for somebody against whom we have a resentment. Here's how it goes. And the words are, you may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. You may be... One last, spark. One last spark. We all need, we all need to, light the whole world. to light the whole world. Yeah, you can sing that to yourself as many times as you want to. And who else you're going to sing for is somebody you love. You may be, you may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. Okay, now our spiritual exercise gets a little harder. Somebody against you, know, somebody you're neutral about. So just pick somebody you don't know. Um, give them a little side eye and let's sing for them. <laughs> you, may be you may be one last spark. We all, need we all need to light the whole world. Yes. And now the final exam, singing it for someone against whom you have a resentment. Um, I would not start with the hardest one. I'm just getting my energy up to do it. And, oh, you don't have to mean it is the other good thing. <laughs> Does you good just to say it. Just to think it. All right, got somebody? Here we go. You may be, you may be one last spark. One last spark. We all need to light the whole world. Right now, to heal ourselves up, let's sing it for ourselves one last time. You may be, you may be one last spark. One last we, all need we all need to light the whole world. The whole world. Amen and blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.